But the reality is our time is our most finite resource because we only have so much of it. And the kicker is we don't know how much we really get. And so that was my big takeaway is, oh my gosh, my life is passing. It's passing whether I'm living in it or not, whether I'm enjoying it or not. The parts of our conversation that happened 20 minutes ago are already gone forever. Mm -hmm. And so that just became a really debilitating realization for me. And I chose not to wallow in it. And I said, okay, well then, what are we going to do? I like to consider myself a, a problem solver and a woman of action. So I just said, well, then I need to, to change this. I, I'm going to try to control my life. And that was one of the other good realizations was we do. We control our life. Everything in our life is a choice. Even though a lot of people feel like it's not and that you have to get up every day and go to work. You have to do it this way. But it's not. There's so much creativity and there's so much we can do and we can change and we can manipulate to really shape our lives for true meaningfulness. Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, profiles, and interviews of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name is Sean Davis. I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my co-hostess in life, my beautiful wife. Her name is... Just Jen. I love it when you do that. <laughs> See, I've got all this buildup. I've got all this volume. And then you just go, Just Jen. <laughs> So simple, yes. so to the point, exactly you. Smiling face, just Jen. I'm like anticipating you introducing me. Are you? Yeah, every single time I'm like, I start to get nervous and start getting sweaty. Jennifer, it's not a live broadcast, it's I a know, podcast. I know, but like, um, it's it makes me nervous every time. Really? Yeah, I might forget who I am. Like these little butterflies in your stomach, like, oh, oh my. No, like sweat dripping down my body. What? Yeah, I start Jennifer. to Jennifer. It's okay. I mean, this is kind of a really hot radio shack we're in. Yeah, this is our radio shack. Mm -hmm. So just to paint a picture for you folks that are listening, folks. Folks. Does that make me old when I say folks? Gal. Gal. Stop. <laughs> so just to paint a picture, we are in a 12 by 20, like, think tough shed, only much cooler. Yes. Like, not cooler as in temperature cooler, as cooler as in rad cooler. It's like bohemian awesome Bohemian modern. Is that what you designed it as? Bohemian modern? Yes. We got a little couch. We got a, we got a podcast boho. desk. We got pillows. And we got furry, hairy things all over. Oh, it's... It's rad. This is like, I'm going to live here one day. Hey, yeah, we just need AC. We just need to get AC in this thing. I've got we're in California right though. here and it's doing its job. All of California is burning right now. I know. And it's hot. I know. And they're doing rolling blackouts. So if you're a praying type, pray for us because it's, it's, it's not fun out here in California. Yes, it's not. But hey, what do you do? Hey, I'm excited about today's show. We're going to be talking to Samantha Lane. Okay. She's a recovering workaholic, just like me. Oh, twinsies. Twinsies. Yeah. See, I'm a recovering narcissist. Mm -hmm. It's not all about me. <laughs> and I'm recovering workaholic. It isn't all about work. What am I recovering from? Me. <laughs> I guess I had to deal with all that side of Sean. <laughs> I kept you on your toes. So you're recovering from me. You just When I say that stuff, you just go, I'm recovering from Sean. <laughs> 
It's an active recovery. I'm going to start saying that. It's an active recovery. Yeah. Some days are better than others. <laughs> I need 12 steps. That's when he takes me out on the trails. Yep, that's right. But um, yeah, I'm excited. I, I think we're going to have an awesome, awesome show talking with Samantha because, you know, like anytime I get a chance to talk with somebody that was getting it and going, working mm-hmm. hard and making money and doing things and... You can relate. I know. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you go, wait, people are living out there. What am yeah, I doing? Exactly. I'm not, I'm not living. I, I was, need to live. I was out there living. Were you? Yeah. While well, you were a workaholic. Well. I was just living life. Somebody had to pay the bills. Yeah, well, I can pay the bills too. <laughs> Look at you, girl boss mom. I have mom. lots of talents that I could charge for. Yeah. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. your talent with joke telling is bar none. I cannot wait to hear your funny. Yeah, people pay me for my jokes. Really? Yeah. That surprises me. <laughs> Surprise. You got a joke for us? I do have a joke for I us. I want to hear it. Okay. Are you ready? I think so. Okay. How do you fix a cracked pumpkin? How do you fix a cracked pumpkin? I would fix it by carving something around the crack to make it look like the crack wasn't there. <gasps> Close, but Is no. that the answer? No, 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 no. What's the answer? You fix it with a pumpkin patch. Oh, jeez. That's the cutest joke ever. And it's very appropriate given the time of year. Yes. It's like a joke where you don't laugh, but you say, aww, right? Like it's it, a cute joke. So is that funny? Aww, it's sweet. No, it's, if, you, if it's cute and you go, ah, did it accomplish its well, goal? Well, it depends how you say ah. <laughs> you just said ah, like, uh. <laughs> It depends. I'm I've never... saying like, ah, like you'd look at your little baby. So that makes it funny? It makes it cute. So the, do you want to be cute or do you want to be funny when you tell a joke? That was both. It's was it? funny with a side of cute. Okay, can I try a funny with a side of cute? <laughs> okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What do you call a dinosaur that crashes his car? Oh, 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 Tyrannosaurus Rex. Oh, my gosh. Did I get it? I hate it when you do that. Did I get it? Yes, you got yes, it. Yes, I love it. Man, I knew I was always right. Dang. Why? You, you ruined my joke, so automatically like, you win. I feel like I just won the lottery, and we should actually maybe go play for the first time. <laughs> maybe I'm going to win. Maybe we should. Yeah. That was deflating. I'm sorry. I just can't help being so smart. I can't help it. Uh, yes, yes, you are. That's one of the reasons why I love you. Absolutely. What do you always tell me? I know a little about a lot. You do. And I don't, that's a compliment, actually. Like, you, you are well, you know, you have a vast knowledge of bits of information about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Some things you're really knowledgeable on, but you yeah. know a lot about no, you know no, a little, I know a about, little a about a lot. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I do know like, you know, a little <laughs> bit about it. I heard something about it, but yeah. Well, from your husband to you, I think you're awesome sauce. So that's all that matters. That's all that matters. So thank you. Well, let's talk to an awesome guest okay. because I want to talk to you. Um, well, I think you're going to have some, some, maybe some similarities, maybe some flashbacks to the old me, but we're, we're going to talk to Samantha Lane. Okay. And she has a website called Origami Day. Are we going to learn origami? The, like the folding paper? Yeah. yeah. The origami, yeah. Like I, shapes and animals and yeah. stuff? Yeah. And food? Jennifer. I wonder if we can origami food. Oh, we could do a cake. Jennifer. I'm just It's always wondering. about food with you. 
I'm wondering what you can Maybe do with origami. Maybe just folding paper is enough to be just folding paper. No, it has to look like something amazing. Yeah, I understand, but it doesn't have anything to do with food. Not in my world it does. <laughs> anyway, she she went through a major medical challenge mm-hmm. and it really caused her to self-reflect and she realized that like she was missing life. Like she was working hard, like she was doing things, but she was like whole missing the whole point, missing life. And so we're going to talk to her about that experience. We're going to talk to her about how that experience changed her and then what she's done since then. Okay. Does it sound like fun? Yeah, it sounds interesting. Well, let's get her on the line. I'm going to call her. Let's call her. Right now. Okay. All right. I've got Samantha Lane on the line. Samantha, welcome to Hope Radio Podcast. How are you today? I'm excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we, we are so happy to have you. We're excited to talk with you. I, I love what you're all about. I've I've looked at your website. I've watched some of the videos and I was like, Jen, <laughs> we've got to talk to this gal. I can't wait to uh, to interview her. So uh, yeah, we're, we're excited. So for our audience, for the benefit of them, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live? You know, you're married, do you have any kids, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So I moved every year growing up, so I don't really have a front. My dad was in the Army. But I currently live in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, where it is warm and sunny all the time. And I'm married to a very handsome and sweet fireman. And my only children are fur babies. I have two dogs and a cat. And I run a time management business and try to live my life to the fullest. Oh, I love that. The Smoky Mountains. You're you're in the Smoky Mountains, the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. We're in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada. So we're about 45 minutes away from Lake Tahoe, just to give you some sort of a perspective. Now, we're out in California, and if you hadn't heard, there's a lot going on out here in California right now. But yes, uh, we're, we're, we're weathering sure. the storms. We're weathering the fires. We're weathering the heat and the blackouts and all kinds of stuff that's coming at us this year. This is the year. I mean, if it was going to happen, this is, is the year. year. <laughs> I think well, we have a joke here in Tennessee, just keep Dolly Parton safe. Like, <laughs> that's what we're all oh. doing right now in 2020. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have renewed my love for Dolly. That new song that she She's does with Zach Williams is just incredible. Yes. Jen and I just yeah. put that on repeat. Oh gosh, she does so much for, for this region. She's just She's like a, a businesswoman goal for me. Mm. You know, no one could ever be Dolly, but she's a good, her her outlook and her face, she's just a great role model. I couldn't agree with you more. So, you know, I was interested in talk with you because part of your story involves being a workaholic. And as a fellow workaholic, I'm reformed, or at least I try to be. I mean, it's like one of these things. It's kind of like, you know, saying you're in recovery. You're always in recovery. Like there's no end to yes. it. Like it's so easy to fall back into that whole let work overwhelm me. So tell us a little bit about your life and kind of the encounter that you have come into that shaped and formulated some change for you in your life. Yeah. So I've always kind of worked. I grew up in a modest income home. So I started working when I was, you know, old enough to do so. So I always had jobs and worked my way through college. and It just became natural. And I'm an ambitious person. And, you know, our culture really breeds hustle Mm -hmm. to some extent. And so I got out of college and I had my first job, my first careers. And and it just became very easy for me to fall into this lifestyle of work first, life second, because I honestly thought that's what we're supposed to do. Part of my story involves somebody verbally telling me, my stepfather, when I was eight, nine, ten, you know, he told me I would never be successful. He told me that I would never amount to anything. Like, he was just one of these obviously not uplifting people. Was was there 
anything mm. that you can sure. look to in your life that was the catalyst for this this ambition, this drive? For me, it was those comments. It's also a, a topic covered deeply in my therapy sessions, but the short version of that story is my dad died suddenly when I was 11 years old. He uh, was riding his motorcycle to work. He was in the Army and got in an accident and ended up being taken off life support the next day. He and my mother were high school sweethearts. It was like a very tragic story. And it sort of rerouted our lives from this safe, military, sheltered community to we moved to the Chicagoland where my mother's parents lived. And so it was my first experience with civilian life, which was funny in itself because I didn't realize until I was 12 years old that they don't play the the national anthem at every movie theater. So that was definitely a different transition. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is awesome. I didn't know that they played the national anthem at every movie theater in the military. No, like I, I didn't either. Yeah. They definitely did when I was growing up. It was I just thought that was the norm. <laughs> so, you know, so that was a transition and my mom, you know, as to be expected, sort of went through this dark time of what am I supposed to do now? She had to go back to school, figure out her career, all that stuff. And we all had our grieving styles. I had a rebellious sister. I had another sister who was really young and just didn't really process. And my response was, I will just be the good kid. And I will just be the one that just gets it done. I'll do well in school. I'll do everything my mom asks. I'll play all the sports. And I will be the golden child. Mm. And that will be the way that I process this. And so that's probably really the, the true origins of my workaholic ways. And then the rest of life just really supported and perpetuated that. I could see that. I could understand. I mean, losing a parent at that age is so difficult to deal with. And I, I imagine, I mean, you're old enough to recognize the loss, old enough to realize the loss, old enough to see and witness what's going on with the rest of your family. And like you look for the role. What role am I going to assume? And and if you're, you know, it sounds like you assumed the role of I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be the one place that the family can count on, the one person that isn't going to create additional waves given what we've been through. Of course. And when that's reinforced with positive responses, it makes it easy to just continue that. You know, of course, my family would have still loved me if I chose a different path, but they also really appreciated me bringing home good grades and, and not getting arrested. that's always a good yeah that's always a good thing i mean we have four boys and so their their ages range from 24 to 14 we had two quick and so are they're 24 and 22 and then we backed off for six and a half years had two more and so 16 and 14 so and i'm an only child so having lots of kids is like you know seeing the sibling rivalry and seeing the oldest and the youngest and middle children how they all behave i mean i i I get it. Jen came from a big family, so this is all this is all old news yeah. to her. <laughs> so you got the positive reinforcement, and you started to really kind of, mm-hmm. you, you know, you get you got out of high school, got out of uh, college, etc., got into the workforce, and then that discipline that hey, I'm going to be the good kid, I'm going to get good grades, I'm not going to create any waves. You know, that paves the way right into I think executive success or business success or real world success because you take that same mentality. Mm-hmm. And you apply it to to corporate culture, and I would see that you would rise. And then it it is it's difficult because you do get that positive reinforcement, and then the more positive reinforcement you get, the more you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, I think I would have continued on that path had I not had a very undeniable sign from God. Ooh, I got goosebumps hearing that. That that sounds like yeah. something that we need to talk about. So <laughs> go on, elaborate. Yes, yeah, so 
when I was 29 years old, so I've been in the workforce for a little bit. My husband and I are pretty regular work outers. We can go back to why I work out because it's a whole other story of hope <laughs> in itself. But we like to work out pretty regularly. And so because of that, I had these like really strong benchmarks of what I was able, you know, where my strength was or my conditioning was. And I just was getting stronger, but having a harder and harder time breathing. So I went to my doctor and I was like, hey, I just really am having these struggles. By the way, like my chest is kind of denty. It was a situation we discovered in, in high, like right before college. And long story short, I was diagnosed with a severe case of pectus excavatum. It's essentially where your sternum is kind of recessed into your chest. And mine was sitting on my heart. So it was drastically impairing my breathing, which you, the more we talk, you may even be able to hear. I start to kind of get a little winded just talking. But my sternum was on my heart. And they said, if we don't fix this, you do run the risk of heart defects down the road. And it's something that historically is, they considered cosmetic. But then they, over over time, you know, as a society, we realized actually this is a functional issue. And most times it's fixed in adolescence. So for me, I ended up having a pediatric surgeon cut my chest open when I was 29 years old. And um, I had a lot of complications. And that was, it was a wake-up call. Wow. You know, uh, I, I didn't, I've never heard of such a thing, but it sounds so scary. Like, Jen and I both are, are very much into physicality and fitness and taking we're, care of ourselves. We're avid worker-outers, too. <laughs> yes, I think I gathered that from some past episodes. Yeah, we, we love working out. So the biggest, the biggest frustration for us, especially if you're in that kind of a mindset, is when something happens that takes you off your game or yes. something happens that limits you somehow because it's just so frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's so annoying. And uh, it sounds like for you, I mean, that, that. so how did you process that when they told you, hey, this is the situation. You, you've got something that's basically impeding in on your heart's ability to pump blood. Like, how did you process that? Well, I was kind of like, I knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there was a part of me that was like, thank God, I finally have a, like a, a understanding. Because I kind of you know, part of the process for me was also understanding self-doubt, like, and trying to understand, you know, trusting my gut, not just in the recovery, which there was a lot of that, but even in the early stages and the diagnosis, because like, I kept saying, like, I know something's wrong, I know something's wrong. You know, the first doctor I went to said, oh, it's asthma, just take this inhaler every day. <sighs> and I was like, yeah, I don't know if that's it. And so, so that was really difficult to sort of come to acceptance and you know when they first said hey you're you're medically severely deformed which is a term every 29 year old girl wants to be marked as um they're like we we definitely recommend having this surgery and your insurance is going to cover it so i was like well okay well if all the doctors think it's a good idea like yeah let's just do it and i'm usually a logical over emotional kind of person so like the facts they do it and i planned you know i'm very organized by nature so i i planned to be out of commission for a month with my recovery so i you know, had people uh, walking my dogs. I had people bringing meals to my husband. I, I did everything I could. I tidied up everything with work. Like I did everything I could because at the time I was working for um, for a school and I, I did everything I could to be out of commission. But the thing I could not have planned for was for all the plans to just change. Yeah. You know what they, what they say, life is, Lennon's quote is, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah. And so, um, 
so the surgery went well or didn't go well, or the aftercare and your recovery didn't go well. So did, I mean, did it end up being like a multi-month kind of event or tell us a little bit more about kind of the challenges that you faced after the surgery? Yeah. So part of the surgery is they, they cut you open, they remove or they, they set aside, if you will. I hope people aren't uh, sensitive to medical conversations. Um, they set aside your pecs and your upper abdominals, at least for me they did. They inserted a metal bar that would keep my chest in the right position. They put the muscles back in place loosely, roughly, kind of. Uh, and then they sewed me up and they said, okay, we're going to let all the cartilage and all the stuff peel back up. And in three to nine months, we'll take the bar out. And, that, and that'll be simple because that was a plan. Well, I just had all the complications imaginable. And I was back in the hospital two weeks later. Um, getting IV vancomycin, which if you don't know, is like the mothership of antibiotics. Like, should the zombie apocalypse happen, go get that one. Um, And so it was, you know, they just said, oh, we're not sure what it is, but it might be an infection. Long story short, what we we realized was I had to have the bar out probably after almost three months. And when they took it out, they realized it had staph on it. So the whole time, I was trying to recover. I couldn't because the implement that they had put into my body had the infection on it. So the infection was actually coming from the inside out. There's a lot more graphic detail. So you can let me know how much you do or do wow. not want to hear. But, but that was essentially the issue. The infection was from the inside out. So there was, there was no way for me to heal. So for three months, I mean, I lost, I lost use of my left arm for a period of time. I had this extreme swelling, back pain. It, it, was, it was very, very painful was the, the general theme of that time. Um, I remember one morning waking up, having to, to, to throw up, which is not something you want to do with a loose sternum because they give you this little pillow and they say, if you've got a cough or sneeze, hold the pillow because we don't want your sternum to come out of your body. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a lot of stuff that was like, what is happening? And the whole time I'm like medicated, I'm questioning, like, because my doctor was like, oh, it's not a big deal. You're fine. You don't have a fever. And so through most of this, like I, I didn't get admitted to the hospital until my fever was 104. But my normal baseline temperature is like 97.5. So I was like, this is obviously very advanced. But I didn't have the typical symptoms. So they weren't really concerned until it was pretty advanced. You you and I do have uh, something else in common. You know, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because my father went through that. My father was in a, um, a really devastating motorcycle accident. He ended up breaking mm-hmm. his leg. He ended up dislocating his shoulder. And it was one of those, he was up in the mountains. And they, I mean, they ended up having to bring in three different helicopters trying to get him out of where he was. And he was in, you know, he said this the dislocated shoulder, shoulder that he had was... Um, was the was the worst of it that just the pain was unrelenting and he was that way it took him six hours to finally get him into a helicopter to fly him out but he uh, ended up having surgery on his on his knee and uh they ended up leaving tape and gauze in his leg and the reality of it is is that he ended up getting infection into his bone and like he had bouts of infection for the next eight years Mm -hmm. until they finally Mm -hmm. had to amputate his leg from Mm. just above the knee down because they just couldn't, it was either going to be, he keeps his leg and dies or they take his leg and he lives. And so, you know, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I, 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 I understand medicine isn't perfect, but it's just, you know, a horror story when you hear something like you're sharing and that that is that something got put into your body that was already contaminated or already a problem or, or whatever. Sure. And you know, staff, Staph lives on our skin, so there's there's that that you know 
the doctors, of course, are like, no, we didn't do this. <laughs> just, you know, the couple, the risks, and they tell you in advance, you know, the likelihood of infection is like one to 3%. And it's a joke with my family. I'm, I'm a 1%. If there's a 1% chance of something <laughs> happening, good and bad, it'll happen to me. So I'm like, of course, of course I got an infection in my test. But yeah, it was, it was wild and it, it rocked my immune system for, for years afterwards. Uh, I've only recently started to get sort of back into my pre-surgery self, which she only got sick once a year and it was usually because of exhaustion and overworking. Um, but, but it's taken me a while to sort of build back to that kind of state. And, and I've come to accept that there's just parts of my body that will just never be the same parts of my experience and my ecosystem that are just forever changed. Yeah. Which is probably the case to your father. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so during this time you did a lot of self-reflecting. I'm imagining because you, oh, you, yeah. you, you, t- you talk about it. I mean, coming into, into close proximity of like unrelenting health problems or your, your life. In other words, you know, am I going to live through this thing? Like sometimes those thoughts come in. So you took stock of your life at that point. And what did you realize through this process? What did you come to, to uncover through the, the challenges of dealing with what you were dealing with medically? Well, there were so many little lessons and, there were some right away, and then there were some that, that sort of slowly started to creep in. But the most powerful was that how we spend our days or how we spend our lives. And for so many of us, we just sort of take our days and our moments for granted, and we always assume there's a tomorrow. And we, we kind of hold certain things in our lives to be so important, but more important than our time. But the reality is our time is our most finite resource because we only have so much of it and the kicker is we don't know how much we really get and so that was my big takeaway is oh my gosh my life is passing it's passing whether I'm living in it or not whether I'm enjoying it or not the parts of our conversation that happened 20 minutes ago are already gone forever Mm -hmm. and so that just became a really debilitating realization for me and I chose not to wallow in it and I said okay well then what are we going to do I like to consider myself a, a problem solver and a woman of action. So I just said, well, then I need to, to change this. I, I'm going to try to control my life. And that was one of the other good realizations was we do. We control our life. Everything in our life is a choice. Even though a lot of people feel like it's not and that you have to get up every day and go to work. You have to do it this way. But it's not. There's so much creativity and there's so much we can do and we can change and we can manipulate to really shape our lives for true meaningfulness oh i love that i love that well said you know and and i agree with you i think well number one let me acknowledge that for for driven people like you and me we don't wallow in anything (laughs) it's not you can't it's not it's not our nature to sit there and wallow in in anything it's like move forward progress action you know like that that kind of stuff i i I get it but i think once once the beauty of that is that once you recognize that the problem is how you're managing your time that same intensity that same focus could then be applied to solving the problem and i think that that's what you're what you're talking about that realization and you know jen Jen knows this very well like how would you describe me like in my 30s and 40s working oh my gosh we never saw you you were always you were always working just head down very driven kaizen on ongoing continuous improvement you know like that just was who you were but yeah i think the problem is is that you realize you're missing life yes 
That's you know, where you're, I come in. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're existing. You're just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going through the motions that you think everybody should be going through, but you're right. missing the whole point and purpose. You're no longer living. Oh life. my gosh. Yeah. 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 Well, it, and I think that's where we often misunderstand. We think that busy is productive or that, you know, movement is life mm-hmm. and that's not the case. No. You know, there's, there should be substance in our days and, I was notorious past me. She was kind of a train wreck. Like she would get stuff done, but, but always a detriment of myself. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I, I had to realize that I was working myself to death and, you know, and I had other, another physical situation that happened prior to that. That was a, another just actual measurement. And I think when you, when you have the metrics to support stuff, it, it makes, it makes those realizations harder to ignore. So, so expand on that a little bit more. So when I was actually like 22, I jumped off a cliff into a rock quarry and broke a bunch of vertebrae. So God already tried to tell me once, hey, girl, you need to write your ship. And so what that I by working full time jobs at a desk, I was my back was deteriorating. And from the time of impact to where we are now, I've lost a full inch of height because of that compression over time. And so around the time of my my surgery. I had gotten in a good place with my back. That was one of the reasons that I am very intentional about being active as it does reduce sort of the back pain long term. But around the time of my recovery from my surgery, I wasn't able to be active and it just aggravated my back pain. And so that sort of added to that epiphany where I was like, oh my gosh, like, like life is short. Mm-hmm. I'm working for X dollars an hour and I'm literally physically deteriorating. And all that was just too much, too much to handle. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge push for me to be like, forget it, I'm changing my life. Do you think that th- those instances were what another guest of mine has called God whispers? You know, sometimes God whispers <gasps> I call to them us. God winks. Do you? <laughs> Look I call them God at winks. that. Yes. I love that. <laughs> Though, so do you, you, yeah. you must agree. So, you, you, yeah, so there's these little promptings that happen in your life. It's like, hello, hello. And I think sometimes, you know, it's like a, it's, it's a wink or it's a whisper and then it's a tap. And then at some point he gets out the two by four and it comes alongside your head. <laughs> you haven't been yeah, listening, so I'm going to get your attention. For sure. I think it's him saying, hey, I'm here and I'm, I'm in control. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I have this theory about why things happen to people. And this is not based off any biblical or, you know, scientific evidence. This one's just my opinion. But, but sometimes I think, well, what if God has a quota to keep the universe in balance? He's got to dole out a certain amount of bad things. And he just he has no control over that. But what if he has control over who he gives the bad things to? And so he chooses who's going to carry the burden. He, he chooses who he knows. This person can take this burden because I know I've equipped them perfectly to deal with it. And sometimes I just, that's sort of how I've started to accept the challenges in life. You know, someone once told me life isn't good and bad, it's blessings and adventures. And so I've really, I think because of all those God whispers, all those God winks, I started to sort of reframe my mindset to where obstacles are no longer obstacles, they're just adventures. Because I was chosen to, to take that adventure. That was given to me intentionally. Yeah, I think anytime you can reframe something into, 
you know, a more positive version of it, but you, you know, it's not, it's not a challenge. It's an adventure. It's not a, a, um, devastating setback. It's an adventure. I like that. I like that idea because Jen and I were down for adventures. We like <laughs> going on adventures. Uh, so I think that, I think that's yeah. awesome. And, and so, so what happened to you? So you, you, you go through this medical challenge, you're dealing with adversity, you come to this realization, maybe I've been a workaholic as one former recovering workaholic to another. I get that. I understand that. But once you recognize it, once, once you know it's there, once you see it, then how do you, how do you change it? Oh, that was the hard part in the beginning is then I was, it was a lot of second guessing myself of what I call the start of my forever existential crisis. Um, you know, what am I supposed to do with this information? Like, God, why have you pulled back the curtain and shown me what, what other people cannot seem to see? And even to this day, you know, three and a half years into a business where I'm trying to help people have that same epiphany without the surgery, it's hard for some people to see it. So it became this question of why me? What are, why did you show me this? And as a, you know, optimistic reframer, I just thought, okay, well then I'm supposed to do something with it. So I sought out solutions. I tried, I, I would spend my lunch breaks in the, you know, in the office supply aisle at Target trying to find the, the magic bullet. And I realized there is, there was not at the time, in my opinion, a magic bullet. So I created two planning tools that I thought would help based off of my experience. And I tweaked them and, and they worked. And, um, and they helped me that combined with the right mindset and more self-education on time management, productivity and boundaries. I learned, I learned how to have balance and set myself up for success in that way. And then I ultimately turned it into a business, mostly at the encouragement of other people, but also as a trick to myself, because if you run a business about time management and work-life balance, you'll always have work-life balance because you've got to be true to your brand. So that's a nice <laughs> trick for future me. Um, that's yeah, a, that's the way to rein yourself well. in. Yeah. I know I care about integrity, so I'm not going to, you know, I'm never going to lie about something. So if I don't have work-life balance, I can't sell it. So that was a really, I think it was a, a, a wise move on past me. So your your company and the and the planners that you created are can be found at Origami Day. So I, I'm really curious how Origami came into it, and then I'm curious about what planners that you found were lacking. Like like what what was it that you felt wasn't being addressed in the whole? How do I prioritize my time? You know, through a planner kind of a of a world. Yeah, great questions. Okay, so let's start with the first one. So the, the first part of it is Origami Day. And that that name came out of the, this first tool that, that saved my life ultimately. And I would, um, I worked in recruitment for college. So I would go to these events and I would sit at a table for hours on end, hoping students would come talk to me about going to school. And, you know, in some ways it was good because I had time, I could kind of decompress. I wasn't always in front of a computer, but also sometimes it was really stressful because it felt like a wasted time. And at that point in my life, I'm not about wasting a single minute of my precious, precious time. So what I started doing is, is coming up with, okay, as soon as I'm done here, what am I going to do to maximize the time? And I just started strategically planning out the next few hours or the next few days until I started planning a whole week in advance. And I would do it on the back of these like inform like, program information sheet. And so it started out with just planning my entire week in advance. And what I started to realize is I created this piece of paper 
where I could plan my whole week, but then fold it in a way that I only was looking at one day at a time. So I had the whole game in place, but I didn't have to be overwhelmed by what was coming. I could just focus on the next task. And so I also grew up in a Japanese American home. My grandmother's from Tokyo. So um, I started out calling it my origami, Jap- uh, origami's word for the Japanese word for folding paper. And as, as it sort of progressed and it turned into a business, it just felt right to name, to make sure that there was a Japanese word in the name of my business because so much of the Japanese culture is respecting your ancestors. And that to me became a way that I could respect them. And then with Origami Day, which the business was originally called Organizational Origami, which was a little, little tough. So Origami Day was, was a better transition uh, for a lot of reasons, but also the biggest because you're shaping your day. Well, I think, I think you... Your life. I love that. And I think you had Janet planning your week. Like I'm married to like a Uber planner. Like she, she had, she plans her food. She plans her workout. She plans her schedule. I think she even plans laughs. Mm -hmm. I think she plans (laughs) winks and all kinds of stuff. I mean, I sit back and what are you doing? Well, I'm planning this. I'm planning that. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm all about. Oh, Jen, you will love. I love the system. I'm looking at it right now, actually. Yeah, she she, she, she was I pulled it up right away and I signed up for something for free. (laughs) But I was like. Right, the free weekly planning seat. Yeah, I'm like, I am all about all the planners. Like, I don't need just one. I want like like one in every room of my house because I don't want to be without it. So this is this is so me right now. (laughs) Am I a planner? You are not a planner. Yeah. That sort of answers the other question that you just asked, John, mm-hmm. is sort of like why the way that the tools. So once I made that first folding sheet, it was great. And I was like, this is amazing. So then it kind of negated the need for a weekly spread mm-hmm. in a planner. Mm-hmm. And so then what I realized, too, is if you plan in a month view, you have smaller boxes and you can't overextend yourself. If the box is only so big, you can only fit so much into it. So part of my intentionally different design of my product is a little bit of self trickery um, because some of us ambitious people, we want to take all the meetings and all the appointments and all the things, but then we can't get them done and we're setting ourselves up for failure, which is something I really struggled with. So I started using month view calendars that didn't give you the ability to plan too much stuff. And I loved that. But then I was also carrying around a notebook because I have a terrible memory after all of my, you know, anesthesia and we didn't even cover the time I got a concussion, but I have a terrible memory. So I would have to write stuff down. So, um, I was like, man, I hate carrying around two books. And so then I thought I tried to find a planner that was a month view and a notebook. And turns out that's almost impossible to find. At least then it was. And so then I just started making them myself and that became the system. And I realized it was so valuable to have a month view calendar and multiple months, like I like more than 12. So my calendar to 14 because I think sometimes we get excited about the new year and we start planning it in like October yeah. and especially 2020. We're all probably like, yay, 2021. <laughs> so, um, so that it has also the notebook in one spot. So you're only having to carry that plus your weekly sheet. It gives you this ability to kind of have your, your details and your day to day in that, that folding sheet. And then your companion book gives you a space for long-term planning and items of importance. And the aesthetic, I, I just felt like some of the planners out there were, were too busy for me. Like it was enough for me to get my shirt on the right way. I couldn't check boxes if I drank water that day. So I needed something that was so refined that it wasn't stressing me out. And I love a good sparkle and a good pink, but I felt like that was counterproductive as a young female in the workforce, which is why the planners are a very neutral 
um, and gender friendly, like men and women aesthetic. And so that's sort of all the, all the answer to that question. John. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's awesome. That was a great answer. And, and you know, you, w- when you were responding back to me and answering the question, it, it just, it, yeah, I had this, this inner my head. I, I don't think that something happened to you. I had a guest say this. I think something happened for you. I think that everything that you have okay. gone through was for your benefit. In other words, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, oh, I can, I can, I can bear this. And so this is going to be a big negative and it happened to me. I think it happened for you. Do, do you believe that now as you, as you look back over what's changed about your life and how you're approaching time management, how you're handling your days, et cetera, pre the medical event versus now? Oh my gosh. Yes. Like I just think about how lucky I was to get this gift of this clarity, this understanding about life, this whole different perspective. And the more I try to share it with other people, I'm the more I learn that everyone doesn't see life this way. And so that's where it becomes this, um, this responsibility that I'm not growing this business because I want to roll around in money through my death style. Like I'm growing this business because God put me here to share this message. My experiences were so that I could help other people understand. And one of the most beautiful things that happened during my recovery was when I finally committed to starting the business. And I like to read at least a Bible verse, if not a full devotional every day, how I kind of start my day, at least, you know, post-surgery me. She's good about that. And um, the day I was doing a business pitch to try to win money for my business, I read um, Esther 4.14. I don't know if you guys know that one. There's different versions of it, but essentially it's, you know, perhaps this is the moment for which you were made. And I about fell out of my bed and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And then from then on, I was kind of waffling back and forth between, am I listening to God or am I just the rantings of a mad woman? We'll see. We'll, we'll figure out which one. <laughs> I love that. That is, that is awesome. I, I think that that's a great, great verse. Um, I, I think that you're doing great things. I think, you know, w- what was interesting to me about having you on the show was I think that there's a lot of people right now that may be coming face to face with the same thing that both you and I did. And that is, you, you know, what is my life about? What's going on right now? Did how, at what point did I lose control of my ability to live? Because I think that we get into this automated, just one foot in front of the other, you know, pound, 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 forward, forward, forward. And, and then like you can blink and 10 years are gone, you know? And, and it's like, what happened? Like, where did it go? But I think COVID has really created a, a circumstance where people have to reflect they have to sit with themselves. They have to, you know, they're going through change. And so if you're going to go through it, if you're, if you're going through uh, an unsettling and unknowing about the future and you're taking stock of your life, you have to consider your work-life balance, I think, in that process. And I think some people came face-to-face with that. You know, they went from being working every single day to then being quarantined at home with their family for 15 days or 30 days or however long it, it became. And I think some of them went, oh, my gosh, what have I been missing? You know, what, what, what have I been doing? And so I, I love that you are building a, a planner, a, a mechanism under which people can, that come to that realization can then structure how to, how to live more balance, you know, moving forward. And so well said, Sean, you obviously are someone who's been a workaholic before the way you describe your life sort of getting away from you. Yes. Yes. Um, with me is I actually just, shared a blog post a couple weeks or months ago about um, how this pandemic is my surgery. 
and how all the lessons that I learned in my surgery are immediately relatable to this current pandemic because it's our opportunity. We've all had the rug pulled out from under us, which is what, what happened to me. Suddenly, you know, one of the best lessons that happened to me was my business, like my, my employer during my surgery being completely fine with me not coming back to work right away. Like <laughs> the lights stayed on, their world still turned. And I was like, oh my gosh, you mean they don't need me individually for their success? And I know that's hard for some people to understand um, or to accept, but it was so great for me because it made me realize like I don't carry that whole company on my shoulders. So why am I giving them that much of my life when yeah. I realized my family, my close circles, I, I was so critical to them. My ability to, to, you know, weather that storm of my surgery and survive that recovery, that mattered so much to them. Not that my employer didn't care. They, they were wonderful during that time. But it was different, you know, to, to, to one faction, you're a number and a cog in the machine. And to one faction, you are, you're a critical player. What has your family said about pre- the medical challenge versus now, Samantha, like, have they noticed how different you are? Like, what, what has your family been able to edify for you about the changes that you have uh, gone through? You know, I think I'm especially sensitive to it with them um, because sometimes my grandmother will not call me if she needs me to come over and do something at her house. She's like, oh, you're busy. I'm like, Grandma, don't you tell me I'm busy. I am never too busy for you. And it like, becomes like kind of a point with us where I'm like, call me. I will come over. I think they, because I had so many years of being a workaholic, they were kind of worried about um, bothering me because I was always saying no and I was always too busy, which was so dumb in hindsight. But now uh, I think they see it. And I, I do so much. I try to go so much above and beyond when it comes to being there for my family. Just uh, in the month of July, my sister lives in Iowa, so I don't get to see her and her family as much. But because of just the, the nature of this pandemic, they decided to come to Tennessee and spend the summer here with me and my mom and my grandmother and I took the entire month of July off and I spent the entire month with my family and I think they really saw that and I think that they've all been really supportive of this epiphany and and they're really great too about as much as I'm keeping balance I'm also you know doing it while growing something that I hope to to help a lot of different people so they're good about they use the products Um, I think both my sisters and my mom all have planners they read my newsletters for me before I send them out. It's, it's kind of become this neat thing where they really do support me in this and they see my desire to sort of make amends for the years that I was misprioritizing. That's a great way to say it. You know, I've come face to face with that myself. I, I think as a recovering workaholic myself, you don't realize how people thought of you or what they would or wouldn't ask of you during those times, you know, because I, I, I've come face to face with that with my mom, for example, you know, she, she, she talks to me and, and we talk a lot more frequently than we, we ever did. And I think that that's a function of me decompressing. I mean, for 22 years, I was a financial advisor. I sold the practice in, in 2018. And I think it took me a solid, you know, 18 months to really kind of decompress out of that and to to get rid of all of the stress and the anxiety and all of all of the stuff I had been carrying. But she said to me the other day, and she's like, I just love it when I call you and you answer. And it was like this ton of bricks mm-hmm. that hit me. And I'm like, whoa, 
I guess I didn't really answer. And then it started making me think every time she'd come to visit, you know, she'd come to visit and she'd sit in my office while I'm having meetings. And then I'd have 10 minutes Mm -hmm. in between the meetings. Right, Jen? She'd come all the way from Wyoming and Sean's calendar would just be always booked. So I'm like, you didn't like take the day off. And he's like, no, but you can go hang out with my mom. And I'm like, but it's your mom. Yeah. So weird to me. It's weird what you can justify at that, at that time. You know, like what, why, why would I be that way? I felt I had, you know, I, I had seven employees. I had 400 clients. I had, you know what I mean? I had to keep the ship rolling. And honestly, all, all of your clients would have totally understood, you know, but still you were just very driven. Well, I was going to say, what if your mom came to visit and then suddenly was in an accident. Yeah. He stopped everything for her. Exactly. Yeah. I think being married to a fireman has been really good for helping me understand real emergencies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think when I was in a, a professional setting, there was often this misunderstanding of an air quote, quote unquote, emergency. Oh my gosh, I have to get this proposal in. Oh my gosh, this email <laughs> has been sitting in my inbox for three and a half minutes. And we start to have this self-imposed sense of urgency. And I think being able to have conversations with my husband every day, how was work, you know, what's new. And he tells me about these, these upsetting things that he sees in these, these people's lives who change in, the, in an instant, not just with a fire, but with a vehicle accident or with a heart attack. And it always keeps that perspective of well, we walk around sometimes calling things emergencies or putting this sense of urgency on things that, that really aren't. And if a true emergency came up, we know right away what matters. We know who matters. Yeah. And it's just without those times of emergency, we, we forget that. I couldn't agree more. Reminds me of the, the, we were watching Chesapeake Shores last night. So, you know, the pandemic, it's hard, it's hard to find new shows right now. So we're watching something that's older, but you know, that the grandma, Jen loves the grandma and, and, and here's this. It's on the Hallmark channel. Yeah. So it's very wholesome. So, and so, cute. so the woman's got two Love kids and they're, and they're about ready to have a wedding. And the grandma's like, Hey, you need, you need to come up here and watch this. You know, here, here's the, the kids. And she's yeah. like, no, I got to finish this. I got to finish this. And then she like literally sits down. She's all, you got to remember, why are you doing this? Why? you're doing this to yeah. to be here for your kids to be a mom for your kids and, and so she just stops right there and then she goes and she's part of her two daughters little fake fairy tale wedding whatever was going <laughs> yeah. on somebody was marrying somebody but it was just you know it's just in a moment like it it just speaks to you it just speaks to you about like what's your priority like what is mm-hmm. your focus you know life is meant to be lived it's not meant to be worked only you know what I mean like it's and and I I get it because I've been there I think we're all like that too I mean we have four boys so I don't know how many times they'll come up to me and be like mom look at this or I want to show you this and I'm like not right now not right now and I'm like really is what Mm -hmm. I'm doing scrolling on Instagram much more important than you know some art project they're working on yeah so I have to remind myself every single day I mean I wish I wasn't like that but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't yeah it's just me yeah I think that's the challenge of of life and focus Mm -hmm. and and being in the moment yes I think the greatest challenge is appreciating every moment yeah the hours, the days. Well, and then I start to think they're only going to be little for a little time. And I'm like, there's going to be a time where they're like, I don't have art to show you, you know, and I'm just going to be begging for them to talk to me. So I'm like, this is so dumb. Like this Instagram and Facebook and stuff that we think we need to busy ourselves with. It's all just dumb. It's all noise. It's all distraction. Well, I mean, like what people. Yeah. yeah. But I think we've also come to a place where people that's so ingrained. And mm-hmm. so one of the things that was, critically important to me when I finally committed to, okay, this is my life. 
I'm not just going to live it for me, but I'm going to help other people know that they can live it too, is I... I used to not even in the first year of my business, I didn't even tell anyone that I had my toes cut open. Like that was not part of my story. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, Oh my gosh, it helps people. It matters. Like they want to hear this story. They want, even though they can't relate to the surgery itself, they can relate to the epiphanies. And so in addition to that sort of providing that hope and sharing that experience, what I realized is people also need to know what to do. Mm -hmm. And so I care very much about just educating people on, on applicable, real-life, teensy, little bite-sized steps and tips that they can do to start re, reshaping their life to, to sort of shift away from, from where we've, we've drifted to as a society to make it less work to be present in your life, if that makes sense. Because right now we're so, or at least we, we've, a lot of us have shifted to this place where our phones are in our hands and you see the scrollish patient notification. And so it, it becomes an intentional act to break yourself out of it and focus on the moment. So there's a lot that people can do to start retraining themselves and reducing those distractions and reducing those barriers to make being present in your life easier. I love that. How do, how do people get those resources that you are providing? Is it on your is it on your website? Do they sign up for it? Is it the newsletter? Is it the blog? They're on the website. I saw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely I said there's there's definitely some things on the website. I recently launched um, a blog to try to provide more. That's been one of my COVID activities is writing and giving people more resources for free. Uh, there's we do have social media, so I have a couple interns who help me with that because it's not my jam. Um, <laughs> and the website. Then I do send an email once a month and I come from a marketing background and marketing will tell you, you got to be in the inbox all the time. And I was like, that's not what my customer wants. Mm. My customer is a person who's like, I can't handle any more emails. I'm going to lose my mind. So I send only once a month emails and I always make sure it has some sort of story of hope or like tip. And then I always make sure it has a, an actual tangible, okay, now what do I do? I'm motivated. Now, how do I? how do I change my life? And then I have various products and services and downloads and worksheets and things that people can kind of, kind of take on and do events. I actually do two free events every single month because I care so much about people like making these changes that I give so much away. But all that, if you land on the website or the social media, um, orgamiday.com or my origami day, those both will, will direct people to all of that. Well, I think you speak very, very well. So I'm, I'm just wondering when you're going to launch the podcast. <laughs> People always ask, but that's so funny. I joke that people say that all the time. Just today I had this conversation, but that's, I don't have a passion for it. I love being able to to meet other people like yourselves and get to engage on your podcast. Mm -hmm. So that's really fun for me. Um, I don't yet have a desire to create my own. Um, I like to supporting podcasters like yourself. (laughs) Well, we're, we're, we're glad you have. I'm I'm just going to go on the record here though, and say that that might be a little God whisper. If you keep having (laughs) other people telling you at some point he may pull out the two by four and go, Hey, Uh you know, you need to listen to me because I think you, your message could be expanded. Yeah. Yeah. I will for sure consider that. I definitely (laughs) will. In the meantime, I'll, uh, I'll continue to share what I like to do is anytime I go on a podcast, I actually do a little sizzle reel, if you want to call it that, and share it on my YouTube page so that people who land on my YouTube page get to get a bite-sized tip, and then they also learn about podcasts like yours. Awesome. Because Love I it. care really much about what's, what's a higher tide raises all shifts. And I think at the end of the day, like you guys are seeing with this podcast, stories and connections and hearing real people, it, it just has a magical impact on us and makes us all remember that we're humans together. And so I love sharing things that, that 
have a positive impact in my life with other people. Love that. Love that. So I've got one final question for you as we uh, wrap up here. I want you to imagine that you're talking to the pre medical incident, Samantha. So you're talking to your younger self, your full stride, workaholic, no balance self. What would you say to her now? Mm. That's hard. And I do reference past me a lot. She, when I do a lot of training companies and we reference past me, um, I'd probably tell her because although she was a little bit of a train wreck, she was still pretty logical so I think just helping her understand this day is passing and how you spend each of these days. It's an Annie Dillard quote that I first read that says how we spend our days is in fact how we are spending our lives. And I think that would have spoken to her had she come across it then. Love that. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Samantha. You've been such an awesome guest. It's been a great show. I think some of the wisdom that you've imparted on us, I you know, I can't thank you enough for. I, I just think this focus on work life balance and, and and really living life, living life to the fullest. The work should be a a secondary to life. It should be a secondary mm-hmm. to living, you know, and and I think that it's so easy in America. That's why I like traveling too. Like Jen and I, we have a place down in, in uh, Cabo and we love going down there because people are, they're just warm. They greet each other. They spend time, you know, it's like, it, it it's, yeah. it's just a slower pace. And so you, you, you come into contact with another way to live and you do that enough. And I think it helps to bridle you back, but in the States, man, it's just go, 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 go. So I think, you know, your message is an awesome message, you know, pause, smell the roses, take some time, plan your life, plan your days. How you're living right now is how you're living your life, you know, five years from now, 10 years Mm -hmm. from now, unless you make some changes. So just awesome stuff, you know, really, really good. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you. I mean, the reality is, we can be present in our lives while still being productive. And I just, I just am excited for people to slowly get on board with that train. And, and so thank you for giving me an opportunity to share, share my story and that message. Oh, it's our pleasure. All right, Jen, what'd you think about our conversation with Samantha? You know, she actually gave me my new most favorite quote in the world. Really? Yeah. What's that? Um, life isn't good and bad. It's blessings and adventures. This is, I love that point. I love reshaping like an, Mm -hmm. like a challenge or adversity or hardship into, nope, it's none of those things. Yeah. It's not good or bad. It's blessings and adventures. Because I think that, I think they are Mm -hmm. like, look what she went through, you know, like I talked about this a little bit, but like it didn't happen to her. Right. It happened for her. Now, at the time, she probably thought it was happening to her. Like, why me? Why me? Medical problems like infection. Yeah. Well, she did say she's the 1% that yeah. it would probably happen to. So yeah. and she we, probably wasn't that surprised. Well, and we're a lot like that. We think, yeah. you know, like if, it, if it's the slim chance that some negative could come out of it, you know, mm-hmm. we're not normally lucky enough to. I just call those people set apart. Yes. They are set apart. See, Samantha's set apart. She is. She's different. She's mm-hmm. set apart. I like that. She is. Yeah. But uh, no, I thought it was great. I mean, as a reformed, recovering workaholic myself, uh-huh. I could relate to what she was talking about immensely. Yeah. And I think once you get past that, once you realize that, you know, there's a there's a 
greater purpose to your life. There's a there's a bigger plan, and it involves family and, and fun and friends, and you know, it's just it, there's more balance to your life. I think that you become a a, a much better person. You I think do. you you become uh, a little lower keyed up. Yeah, and you the know? quality of your life is so much better. It's yeah. enhanced. Yeah, I no, I I thought it was a, a really really good op- episode. So thank you, Samantha. Thank you so much for. You know, the wisdom that you shared. And and by the way, if you want to check out her stuff, origamiday.com, Origami Day. And so you can find her planners and some uh, free stuff and some tools and newsletter and her blog. And uh, it was awesome. Yeah, it was great. All right, Jen. So how do people hear more about us if they wanted to? Well, you can tune us in on I tunes i love <laughs> you i want to say always go between itunes and iheart radio yeah you say iheart media they both start with i i know iheart radio stitcher spotify soundcloud yeah. you know amazon alexa just say hope radio podcast wherever you're tuning in to us right now is where we'll be tomorrow yes and here's here's the thing i'm going to ask for i'm going to ask people to share it okay Share it with somebody. Send an episode to somebody. Share it. Let's expand this hope train, this network that's a of great people. Idea. You know, like that's the focus. Let's share the message. Okay. Share the podcast. I actually like that. Yeah. Yeah. Sharing is caring. Was that a good thought? Was it was that a, a great thought. Oh, see. You're doing so good today. I like it when you think highly of me. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> I get all warm and fuzzy and it feels good. And oh, it makes yay. me have a good day. I'm going to have a good day today. Magical moments with Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. And if they want to connect with us, they can like and subscribe on our Facebook and Instagram at yes. Hope Radio podcast they right. can like us there they can send us a direct message if you know of somebody that uh, would be a good guest for us to interview or if you yourself think you'd be a good guest send us a message yeah yeah because we're, we're not scary no we'll we're kind of fun yeah we'll, we'll respond and maybe we have you on the show maybe we're we interview whole, we're a lot of fun are we i think i am i think i am okay then we're fun well let's do it again okay tomorrow i think so okay here's a preview of hope radio podcast episode number 69 we realized during that trip we were called to move there. A year later, we were on the ground permanently. And then eight months later, I fell sick. So we went to the doctor and uh, the doctor said, oh, it looks like appendicitis. So I talked to my nurse that was on staff helping us oversee the project work that we were working with. We had 6,000 kids at the time that we were working hands-on with at uh, just over 20 locations. And uh, the doctor says, yeah, appendicitis should be good. The nurse says, yeah, you shouldn't need to worry. He's a good doctor. I know him. I've worked with him in the field and in the clinic. And um, we said, okay, well, take out the appendix. So they take out the appendix. I wake up and I've got a zipper trap down the front of my chest. I'm like, that's bigger than an appendix scar. What happened? And they told me that, oh, we found a tumor. So we took it out as well. But it was attached to part of your intestine. So we took part of that out too.